Welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. This is your host, Terry Welbrock, and just wanted to take a second to again thank all of you who contributed to the fundraising drive for the Healing Place podcast uh, to help Fractured Atlas, our fiscal sponsor, is giving away uh, $21,000 bonuses to um, selected projects. So every time someone donated, we had an opportunity to uh, receive that. I don't know if they've distributed it yet. I haven't received anything notifying us so of of who they what projects they had selected, who they had selected. So anyway, I just wanted to send a big thank you before today's show. So another wonderful interview. And uh, again, I continue to celebrate that the Healing Place podcast is now in the top 2.5% of podcasts globally out of over 2.8 million shows. All right. Thanks for being here and uh, tuning in and joining us every week and for sharing. Now for the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and just my heart is smiling and happy to have Dave Combs here, and I'm going to read his biography to you. We connected through Podmatch, which uh, I'm back up and functioning again after my little health hiatus, so I'm back, back doing that again, which is wonderful. All right, so Dave Combs is a songwriter, photographer, entrepreneur, and author with four decades of experience writing over 120 songs and creating 14 albums of soothing, relaxing, instrumental piano music. His songwriting began with the new, now popular standard Rachel's song. His soothing, relaxing music has been played millions of times worldwide on radio, satellite, and all internet streaming media, and it continues to touch the lives of millions of people all over the world. He is also the author of the best-selling new book, Touched by the Music, How the Story and Music of Rachel's Song Can Change Her Life. So welcome, Dave. Thank you, Terry. It is a wonderful pleasure to be here. I can't wait for us to get in this conversation. It's <laughs> I'm thinking about this all afternoon, and here we are. Here we are. I know. And I don't even know what to go into first, but we'll, we'll save um, what, what we had talked about right before record with Dr. Dr. Stephen Porges' interview for a little further on, I, okay. I'd love to learn from the get-go about Rachel's song and um, the inspiration and, of course, how you've since inspired so many with that song. Well, I grew up with music as part of my life from, I guess, from birth, practically, because what it must have been, because my mother and father both were musical. They both played the piano, and my father would rather play the piano than eat. He he uh, he was just he just loved playing the piano. He played by ear. Didn't he didn't read music very well, but he could really play the piano. He got that from his mother. His mother was about four foot eight, Granny Combs, and she played in a, her country church. She would play an old pump organ. This is before the churches were even had electricity, so she would play an old pump organ and sing a solo almost every Sunday night in her little country church. And so I that's I grew up around this. My, I'm a I'm a Baptist, so I grew up in the Baptist Church in East Tennessee, and the Baptist Church is his big part of the service is music. We loved singing hymns. Uh, we had a wonderful choir. The organist had a wonderful Hammond organ that she played, and then we had a piano, of course. So we had piano organ duets and 
lots of great soloists and quartets and, you know, all kinds of wonderful music. So I guess I, when people ask me, how, when did you first play the piano? So, well, I don't know because I can never remember not playing the piano, playing something. And I'm sure I probably banged around it, you know, as a two or three year old. But as soon as I was able to get up on my daddy's knee and have him show me some things, he, he taught me some songs to play. And so I kind of learned by ear as well, but not totally. I took, like most kids, I took piano lessons at about age eight for a couple of years. And so I learned how to read music and got through, I don't know, seemed like it was book four or book five before I finally life, other parts of my life took over and I didn't take more piano lessons, but I didn't stop playing the piano. I learned chords. I had, I wanted to play guitar. So if you're going to play guitar, you got to learn chords, right? So, <clears throat> so I, you know, learned how the, all the chords were and I learned how chords were structured. And I studied about uh, how music was made and structured with some music theory books that I bought and, and studied for myself. And in, even in college, when I was uh, a math major and a physics minor, I still, I sang, I volunteered and sang in the university choir and, and, and on weekends and Wednesday nights, my local church, which was only 15 miles away, hired me as the choir director, you know, as a part-time music person to direct the choir. So I stayed active with that, graduated from college, went to work for Western Electric, which was uh, the manufacturing arm of the Bell system. You know, we had all the Bell companies, the telephone companies. Then you had Bell Labs and Western Electric. Well, I was part of Western Electric. My job was to start out a computer programmer. So I have an IT uh, technology kind of background, and that's how my career started. And I have I still love technology. I still love computers, and I still love to do programming of sorts, you know, my own website, I maintain my own website and that kind of thing. But so technology has been a big part of my life. And, and looking back, that was important too for my music, because guess what? Music went from cassette tapes and or eight track tapes. You, Some people yes. may remember the old eight tracks <laughs> and cassette tapes. And then CDs came along about, the, you know, the latter part of the 80s. And then CDs had a great ride until the end of the 90s when the digital world, the Internet came around about the mid mid 90s and everybody, the, the, the uh, websites started appearing and Napster start came along and stole all of our music. You remember Napster was yeah. giving away, giving away all of our music that we'd been. It's, it was our intellectual property, my copyrights, but they stole it and would give it away, download for free. Well, fortunately the courts finally put a stop to that but by that time the damage had been done in terms of for the young people thinking that well music doesn't have any value why would I pay $15 for an album when I can just download it from Napster for free right <clears throat> well that attitude really hurt the music business for a long time because the, it was if you looked at the overall music business sales they went in the tank in the in the late 90s it was terrible and when CDs were going out and and then finally, Apple came along with iTunes and the downloads of music. You remember the very first time they were you could download a song for 99 cents. Well, that didn't sound like a lot of money. But if you think about it, an album with 15 songs on it for 99 cents, that'd be about a 14 or 15 dollars for an album. Well, that was a, about a fair price. 
And so that really kind of gradually turned around the music industry to where at least downloads were compensating the musicians for their, their creations. And then along came streaming. <clears throat> so now, instead of downloading and buying a song, you just go to you know, Pandora or Spotify or uh, any of these, iHeartRadio, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all those. Say, I'm, you'll just tell your, <laughs> now we just look over to our little speaker on the wall and say, you know, hey, so-and-so, play. I don't want to say it because if I do, all your listeners' boxes are going to start playing everything. <laughs> <laughs> I keep wondering why somebody on television doesn't say, hey, you know who, do something or other. And then everybody in the world's speakers start doing whatever it is. Right, right. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the streaming came along. And with my technical background, I had been able to, to move my music from the physical world into the digital world as well as it, as it happened. So I was situated when things came along to have be prepared and all like I have 170 some songs that are available on the, in the digital format anywhere, anytime around the world. I wrote over 120 songs and the others are favorite hymns and popular song, other songs other people wrote. So that's a long, that's a kind of a history from, from me from birth to, to, to now. But you ask about Rachel's song, the, my, the first song that I ever wrote. Now, I was 33 years old when I wrote the song that became known as Rachel's Song. So for the first 33 years of my life, I didn't write any music, but I was conducting choirs and, and doing music, but it was other people's music. <clears throat> In January of 1981, I sat down at my piano and I just played this song. Now, my way of relaxing, and we'll get into this later as we talk about the, the psychological and the physiological reasons why this happened to me. But my way of relaxing when I would come home from work from AT&T or Western Electric was to sit down at my piano that you see behind me here and just play something. And the act of playing music on the piano for me was so relaxing. It just took my mind about away from anything else and just totally focused on the music and the sounds I was hearing from the, from the piano. And so that one evening in January of 1981, I sat down and I played this song. And I didn't think about it as playing a song. I just played it because it was a song I had never heard before, but I didn't realize I had never heard it before until later. Now, these are, you can talk for hours about what is inspiration, where does it come from, all this kind of thing. But to me, it was an inspiration, it was inspired music. I felt like it was a gift to me from God that I was just the lucky one that was sitting there playing that song for the first time. Because I can remember playing it. And it was as if I had heard that song millions of times, but I hadn't. Because I knew what notes were supposed to be coming up next. And even I knew what the chorus was going to sound like and all of that. And I played it. I played again. It never changed. It was always and still today is that same melody and structure has never changed. So that was the first song I ever wrote. <clears throat> and I didn't even know about it, writing it until my wife came home from work two days later and said, uh, no, she hadn't, she hadn't been, I, I should say that another way. She hadn't been at work for two days. <laughs> it was two days later that she came home from work and, and said, Dave, what is this song that I've been humming in my head all day long? 
you know, how you get an earworm stuck in there and you yeah, just right. hum and hum and hum. You get, what is that? Well, she couldn't think of the name of it. And she said, uh, what is it? And I, she hummed a little bit of it. And I said, well, it doesn't have a name. Well, she got all excited. She says, what? You, you play it on the piano all the time. How come it doesn't have a name? I said, I just made it up. It's something I made up. Well, she got all excited and said, well, have you written it down? And I said, well, no, I've got it up here in my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to forget it. And she said, oh, no, no, there's something might happen to you, and that song would be gone. I want you to write that down on a piece of paper and put it in a piano bench. I said, yes, ma'am, I'll do that. So so I did. I wrote the, the melody down and the chords that went with it and stuck it in the piano bench. We tried to come up with a name for it. Pretty song, but nothing we ever came up with fit the song. Two years later, uh, yeah, two years later, some friends of ours had a little baby girl. Her name was Rachel. And so we were asked to be her godparents. So at Rachel's christening service, Linda and I are sitting there, <clears throat> excuse me, in the, on the, in the back behind the family at the church. And the, we're, of course, listening to wonderful words the minister's saying about blessing this little baby girl. And it's a sweet, you know, really sweet service. And at the end of the service, I punched Linda and I said, hey, what do you think about me playing this song that I've been We've been trying to name all these uh, years and because there was a beautiful piano sitting up there at the front of the church, right on the middle of the platform was a grand piano. And I said, she said, well, yeah, that's a good idea. So I went up to the front of the church and asked the family and the minister if I could play this little tune on the piano. Of course, they said yes. So I went, walked over to the piano, sat down and I started playing this same song. And I got almost all the way through it, and I, I kept hearing <clears throat> people clearing their throat and sniff, you know, you know, sniffing a little bit, you know. The uh, and I noticed my eyes were getting a little bit moist too, because not only was it a touching service just that we had just witnessed, the music brought out the emotions of that in everybody, including me. So when I finished playing the song, even before the the notes had completely died away, I looked up and I said, "From now on." This song will be called Rachel's Song in Her Honor. And that name fit. It was perfect. It could not have been a, a more perfect match between the song and the occasion and the, the name of the music. Oh, my gosh. I have goosebumps and <laughs> Tommy wiped my eye. Um, yes. It, oh, it's just so beautiful. And, and I so relate to what you say. I grew up Catholic, but still, there were times when I would sit in the pews at church and not be able to control the emotions that I would feel arise from the music. It was always the music that mm -hmm. would trigger just this rise of emotions in me. And, and I just learned eventually to just let those tears fall. They were, it was just something that needed well, to come out. It's, and tears, of, it's tears of joy. It's yeah. tears of uh, just wonderful emotion that comes out. It's just, right. it's, it's great. Yeah. And, uh, so that was that was how the song got its name. And, uh, you know, when we went home after that, Linda and I looked at each other. Now what are we going to do with this song? Now that it's got a name. <laughs> we, so we didn't we weren't really sure what to do with it. All I knew was that it was special because it was it touched everybody that I played it for. <clears throat> well, roll the calendar forward about three years. I was still working at AT&T or still Western Electric at that point. And in 1986, I was having to work in Nashville, Tennessee. About a, we were putting some soft in, 
cutting over some software at the factory that was in Nashville. And that was my job to consult with the factory, help them with that cutover. And I was having to go I'd go there on Monday and come home on Friday. And and so it was an intense time working in Nashville. But I think the good Lord had another purpose for my trips to Nashville, too, because, as you know, Nashville is the music city, Music City, USA. And it's full of everything music. And Linda said, it seems there's a pattern here. Everything I've ever done in my life is always, and Linda said, <laughs> and she suggested that I find a studio and a musician and get a demo, professional demo recording made of Rachel's song. Something we could have and something we could give to Rachel and her family. And so I went out one evening after work, driving around downtown Nashville. And there's a part of town, if you've been to Nashville, it's called Music Square. It's where the Country Music Hall of Fame is. And there's BMI and ASCAP headquarters and the RCA studios. I think Country Music Hall of Fame is there. And it's just a, everything music in that square. Well, I was driving down this one street called Roy Acuff Place. Roy Acuff, you may remember, was a well-known, well-loved uh, country musician that was really made his name in the Grand Ole Opry, and everybody knew Roy Acuff. And so there's a street called Roy Acuff Place, and I go down the end of this street. There's a barn looking, had a, a building, a great big building, looked like a barn, had a, that you know kind of a rounded barn look top to it. And in the front of it, it had a, a water wheel. And it, one of these, a water wheel like from an old mill. You've yeah. seen those on the, the, the stream. You know, great big, yeah, 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 yeah. This one wasn't spinning. Well, it, it, no, I don't think it was spinning because there wasn't any water there. But, but it was the mill wheel itself was there. And the sign on the side of the building said, the music mill. I thought, okay, well, this is encouraging. So I pulled in the parking lot and I could see through the glass door there was a man sitting in the lobby at a desk. So I went up to the door and knocked on it and he unlocked it and opened the door and he says, hello, I'm George Clinton. Can I help you? And that's not the George Clinton that everybody thinks about, but because there are a lot of George Clintons around, I guess. This guy was a recording engineer in Nashville. I didn't know that at the time, but he uh, introduced himself and I told him what I was looking for was a studio that so I could get a demo recording of my song I'd written. And he said, well, come on in. Well, he invited me into this great big lobby. that was a, like a two-story lobby. And over here on the left wall was a life-size picture of Glenn Campbell. And then right beside that was this big wide picture that had the group Alabama. You know, the famous yeah. group. They're still, they're still famous and active. And then here's a big picture of... Uh, uh, the Forrester sisters, and then there's gold records and platinum records all around the walls. And so George says, well, well, Dave, you're in a studio. And I said, well, I've never been in one before in my life. And he said, well, there's nobody recording right now. Why don't I take you on a tour? So <laughs> I said, all right, let's do this. So he took me into Studio A, big studio. We go into the big room where the musicians are usually there. Great big room. You could fit an orchestra in that room. I mean, literally. And I'm sure orchestra probably had recorded in that room. And over in the corner was a big nine-foot concert grand piano. And, and wow. And so he said, come on, let's, let me show you the, where, where the magic happens. So he opens this great big thick door. It's a soundproof door into the control room. 
So we go in there and I look and right here in the center of it was facing the glass window where you could look out into the big room, a console that was about eight feet long, it looked like to me. And it turns out it probably had 32 tracks of controls and the sliders and buttons and lights and knobs. And it was impressive. And then around the wall were these digital recording machine, tape recorders and and all kinds of fancy equipment and speaker, you know, big speakers where you could hear the sound really well. And <clears throat> I said, wow, George, <laughs> how much does a place like this cost? He says, well, it's a hundred and twenty five dollars an hour plus engineer. Now, this was 1986. Now, if you take today's roll that forward to today, that would be close to three hundred fifty dollars an hour. But back then, 125 an hour in 1986 was a lot of money. Well, he probably saw how disappointed I looked at that answer. <clears throat> and he said, well, don't worry, Dave. The fellow that owns this studio owns a little one across the street. It's in a, what used to be a little rent house. It's got a, a little baby grand piano, a little small recording uh, control room, tape recorders. You know, it'll, it'll do what you need done. And he says, it's $15 an hour. And I said, okay, George, that's my speed. Okay, now, all I need is a, somebody to play the piano. And he said, he thought for a second, said, I know just the right person. His name is Gary Prim. And he said, let me go look up his phone number. So we went back over to his desk, and he flipped through his Rolodex and found the P's for Prim and got, got Gary Prim's phone number, wrote it on a piece of paper, gave it to me. He said, call Gary. He'll fix you right up. I thanked him and got back in my rental car and I right back to the hotel room near the near the near the, near the airports where I was staying. And uh, I called Gary Prim's number, got his answering machine and I was just sitting there waiting. I said, I, I can't call Linda yet because I've got to wait for this phone call. I don't want him to get a busy signal. <laughs> so I'm in 30 minutes. The phone rang and it was Gary. And he asked what he could do for me. And I told him and that George Clinton had recommended him. And he said, well, that's all I need to know. I said, uh, what do you need for me to do? So I told him and he said, well, just send me a recording of you playing it. Send me a cassette tape of you playing it and send me a lead sheet. And I said, OK, but what's a lead sheet? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it, the, the language was in Nashville. And I'm kind of embarrassed now that I didn't know then, but. He said, oh, it's no problem. He said, the, the, a lead sheet is just the melody written out and the chords that go with it. And I said, well, I've got that. It's in my piano bench. I just didn't know to call it a lead sheet. <laughs> so when I got back home at, on that Friday, I uh, made my recording and sent the lead sheet to Gary. And then we had arranged for a couple of weeks later on a Friday evening to meet at this tiny little studio across the street from the music mill. And it was August the 22nd, 1986 at 6 p.m. I'll never forget it because that night changed my life. Uh, at six o'clock sharp, Gary comes walking in the studio with his synthesizer under his arm. It was a, you know, a, a little a analog synthesizer, a Yamaha DX7. And, uh, so he comes in, I meet him. He's a very friendly fellow. I mean, just as, you know, I'm from Tennessee as well. So we both spoke the same language. You know, there's two, there's two languages, you know, English and Southern. I speak both of them very well. So, <laughs> but anyway, so I met Gary and he was just so friendly and 
he sets up in the in the 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 music part of the room, and then he starts warming up on the piano. The little baby grand and, and the piano in this house turns out to be a Yamaha baby grand piano, which I later found out was the first Yamaha piano shipped from Japan to Nashville. So this piano had wow. some history, and I would I'd love to know who all had played on that piano. I I you know I just kind of fantasize that I'm sure Elvis <laughs> Elvis probably played on it, and so did Floyd Kramer and all these. Fan, you know, famous musicians, and they may have, I don't know, but Gary Prim was warming up on it, and I'm in the control room with the engineer, and so we're getting everything all set up with the tape recorder, and uh, so Gary says, well, I'm ready, so the engineer says, well, I am too, so he, he pushes the record button on the re tape recorder, and he says, we're rolling, you know, that was, the <laughs> all right, we're, we're, we're moving, so Gary starts playing Rachel's song. Now, I'm standing there listening to the Gary play through the speakers in the control room. And I am absolutely blown away by what I'm hearing. Now, remember, I'm the only one that's ever played this song up to this point. I've never heard anybody else play it. And I've certainly not heard a professional piano player play it with an arrangement that was more fancy and really sounded great compared to my little simple arrangement. And I'm just blown away. Well, Gary gets about halfway through it or so, and he stops. And he said, I think I can do better than that. So just rewind it, and let's let's start over and do it again. So rewind the tape, push record, we're rolling. And Gary starts playing again. This time, he plays all the way through the song. No mistakes at all. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And I'm just, I just can't believe what I'm hearing in this music. And I, if he had stopped right there, I would have been happy because it sounded wonderful to me, just the piano by itself. Yeah. But Gary says, no, I've got some more things to add to this that you're going to be, you're going to really like. He said, first of all, I'm going to double the piano part, which means he's going to play the piano part again, but this time on an electric piano sound on the synthesizer. So when you play the two together, it sounds really full. You know, it's like two instruments playing instead of one on the same note. It's just a, it's a fuller sound. So he gets his headset on so he can listen to the real piano, you know, the acoustic piano part. And then he plays, picks up the electric piano sound on the synthesizer. And he plays exactly what he played on the piano right in the same beats. I mean, there were, as in, in, elect, in uh, musicians' terms, it was tight, you know. Every note was just boom. It, he did not. There was no delay or you, you'd think it was one instrument playing. Amazing. So he played the electric piano part through part of it. Now, when you listen to the recording, you can tell when the electric piano comes in because it, the sound becomes instantly a fuller sound to you because he starts out in the very beginning of the song, just piano. All you're going to hear is the piano part. And then when the, the chorus comes in, you'll hear the electric piano come in. And from there to, on out to the end of it is the electric piano and the acoustic piano. Then he says, well, this needs some bottom and some top. And says so for the bottom, he said, I want to add some low strings, you know, the, like the cello or the, you know, the bass violins or the, not violins, bass uh, stringed instruments. So he puts low strings, two, two more tracks on the recorder to record low strings. And he says, I'd like to have some high notes up there, too, to really just give it some really nice top to it. So 
rewind, go back and put the, put the high strings in with the synthesizer. Then he said, right in the middle, he said, I think I need to add some horns to give it a little punch right there in the middle. Because Gary did something in his arrangement that I had never done. And that was he played two, the verse and the chorus twice in the key of C. And the last time through for the third verse and chorus, he bumped it up to C sharp, a half a step up on the piano. And he didn't do a modulation where you, you hear it coming. It was once you ended the first two, it was boom, you're instantly up in the key of, D, of C sharp. And when you hear the recording, it just kind of bumps up your energy level when that happens. It, it just raises your awareness and, and, you, and you're almost saying to yourself, whoa, what just happened? You know, it's, it's a really nice musical surprise, I put it. So he did that. And so finished all of that. He comes in the control room, says, I think that's got it done. So we re rewound everything and listened to the whole thing mixed together. And Gary said, yeah, I like it. Well, I didn't just like it. I loved it. So anyway, I was so excited. And I, so I wrote Gary a check for his agreed upon fee for the, the, the demo recording. And he took his synthesizer and left. And I had no idea whether I'd ever see that young man again or not. But it turns out I would see him a lot. And he had he and I would eventually go back in the studio over the years and record over 170 songs. Wow. 15 albums and like every, for 10 years I would go to this Nashville and rent a studio for a week and Gary would I'd write the song send him the songs that I'd either written or we're going to record ahead of time and we would be in the studio making music for a week and over the years Gary and I have just grown closer and closer together and he is he and his whole family are just like brothers and sisters They're, they are like family to me and Linda and it's just been a wonderful relationship. And Gary is still a highly in-demand session musician in Nashville. If you go to Nashville and ask any person in a studio anywhere, you know Gary Prim? Oh, yes, we know Gary Prim. He is that well respected by, and you ask any of the big stars that record in Nashville. You know, Alan Jackson, well, Gary, Gary Prim is the piano player that's on Alan Jackson's uh, favorite hymns albums. And you know, he's recorded with, you know, all the big names and they they all love him. And so and, and for good reason, he's just a wonderful person and a wonderful musician. So anyway, after Gary left and just me and the engineer, he mixes it down and makes me a, some cassette tapes of the recording and a master tape. Of course, if I ever just he said, if you want to make any records ever, then you can use this master tape. Gave that to me, wrote him a check and I left. And so I get down in my rental car. I've got these cassettes of the new Rachel song. Pop that in that cassette player in the rental car. Push play. Turn it up loud. Sit there. I, didn't, I hadn't even pulled out of the parking lot yet. I had to listen to it again. So I listened to it. And finally, I said, well, yeah, I've got to get back to the hotel. So I pull out and I go down on the interstate to head back to the hotel. Now, if you've been to Nashville, you also know that there is a very complicated interstate system there. The three interstates collide or, or converge. <laughs> they may do colliding too, but they converge together. It's I-40 and I-24 and I, I forget what the third one is, but they come together. There's flyovers and then, you know, it's a really complicated network of exits and entrances to get on the right uh, interstate. Well, 
I apparently was not paying a lot of attention to where I was going because I played, I play Rachel's song, hit rewind, play it again, rewind. I don't know how many times I played it, but I was going around and I, I looked up and I saw a billboard and I said, I have seen that billboard in that place before. I, you know, they have a, it's a loop around Nashville. Turns out <laughs> I was just circling Nashville. I hadn't, I was, if I'd have kept on, I'd never made it back to my hotel. Well, my, my navigational ability finally did kick in and I made it back to the hotel. Then I didn't have any way to play it for anybody. All I had was the, in the car, I could play it, but in the hotel room or any place else, I didn't have any way to play it. I didn't have a boom box or nothing. And I called my wife, Linda, when I got back to the hotel and told her about the recording session. Now, she knew it was going to take place, so I'm sure she was anxiously waiting for my report on how it went. Well, she must have probably thought that I had been drinking because I've, I'm sure I was talking a mile a minute. And I don't mean I'm not even sure I made sense or not, but I was so excited about what I had just experienced that. I, and I was so frustrated that I couldn't share it with her. She couldn't. She, I, I'm sure I tried to describe what it was, but there's no way you can describe music and have it really appreciated. So anyway, she, she, I'll just have to wait till I get home and play it for you. Well, I'm hung up with Linda, and I said, I, I was so wound up, I could not sit in my hotel room with that music and no way to play it. I went back down to my rental car. I said, I'm going to find me a place to play this music. I drove to a shopping center, and I found a Circuit City. Yeah. Now, Circuit City, yeah. some of your listeners will remember that it was the electronic store, kind of like Best Buy is now, but it had it sold really nice stereo equipment and speakers and, you know, sound systems and whatever. So I went to Circuit City and I took my cassette and I walked in the door, rounded up me a salesperson and I said, uh, uh, you, you all sell really high end music equipment here? Yep. Yep. I said, well, how about showing me the best sounding system you got in the whole house here? And uh, while you're at it, take I want you to play this cassette tape. I want to hear how it sounds on your really high end system. He said, okay. We go over this special room over at the side and he pops the cassette in this player and turns it up. And I said, well, I turned it up real loud. You had big speakers, so it filled up the whole store, basically. Starts playing Rachel's song. Everybody in the store stops and kind of just stands there and listens to the music. They don't, you know, they've not stopped their shopping. <laughs> and I was just amazed. And it did sound good. It, it filled up that whole store with music. And so I, then's when I realized that this song affected other people the same way it did me. I, I could see that in the, the way they reacted. So anyway, I did make it back home and got to play the tape, of course, for Linda. That uh, and I had to work through the weekend. So it was Monday, actually, before I got home that time. We were doing a software cutover that weekend, and I couldn't come home. But I got home. First thing I did, of course, of course, I kissed my wife. Hello. And then we head right straight for the stereo. I said, Melinda, you've got to hear this. So I popped it in our our home system and we both sat there and listened to it. I think we probably had tears in our eyes of how beautiful it actually sounded. And it just was the beginnings of that song touching us in a way that we had never been touched by music like that before ever. And so that's how the song got first recorded and played for Linda at home. Beautiful. And it's gone. I mean, I know one of the things I read was you've received 
over 50,000 letters from people stating how much it's impacted their lives. Yes. The, uh, and that was because of the, uh, I got it played on the radio. A friend of mine had a radio program and the stories in my book about how that came about, but basically on my local FM station, it got played on the next Saturday morning, actually. And the radio station manager called me after it had been played on the radio. And he said, Dave, I've been in the radio business for over 22 years and nothing like this has ever happened to me. He said when my, it was my friend, Bob McHone that had a radio program on that, that station on Saturday morning. He said, when Bob played Rachel's song on his program that morning, he said, our phone bank, you know, he said, we got like 10 or 12 phone numbers. It locked up. It was solid people calling in wanting to know what was that, that song you just played and tell us more about Rachel's song. Tell us more about this Combs guy in Winston-Salem and so on. He said, I've never had that happen before in my life. I said, wow, well, <laughs> that's great. So then another, you know, a light bulb comes on in my head that says, okay, this song does have some special, something special in, in mind for it other than just me and just locally. So I knew I had to get it played on more radio stations than just that one. So I got busy. I got busy. I found out the phone numbers for all the easy listening radio stations in the United States. Back then, there were about 400 of them. Now there may be four. I don't know how many there are, but they're, they're a dying breed. But back then, we had a bunch of them. And in every major market had an easy listening radio station. So I got busy, started calling these radio stations, and I'd talk to the program director and send him a copy of Rachel's song. He loved it. They played it. Every time they played it, the same thing happened. All their, They'd get flooded with phone calls wanting to know what that song was. So the song kind of took on a life of its own. And I found out that there was a company in Chicago called Bonneville Broadcasting that programmed about 200 of these stations all at once. I mean, they paid them to do the programming. And I got a hold of the person at Bonneville that did that programming, sent him the Rachel song recording. He loved it. He said, Dave, I'm going to put it on all my stations in the playlist. So instantly I go from a handful of radio stations around the country, 200 of them all over the whole country. And then's when the fan mail started. You know, I, people would track down my address from the radio station because I had it on the, the, the music I was sending to them. And they would write me a letter about, oh, I mean, I heard your song on the radio. One lady from Atlanta, Georgia, her first name's Dixon. She said, uh, Dave, I was stuck in a traffic jam at Christmas time in Atlanta, Georgia, and a terrible traffic jam. And your song, Rachel's song, came on the radio, and it turned a terrible traffic jam into a pleasant experience for me. So that was just a short, sweet little note from her. And then I got another one from a, a lady in New Jersey. She said, uh, "My husband." She said, "I'm a newly uh, certified EMT, emergency medical technician. Got my training, got my certificate. I'm qualified." On my way home with my husband, she said, "We were driving down the street, and on the sidewalk, we saw an elderly man just collapse right on the sidewalk. I mean, just fell down. So, stop that car, and she jumps out of the car and." runs over to see if she can help the man and see what the problem is. And so apparently he was having either a heart attack or a panic attack or something was really not well with him. And at the same time, she had opened the car door and ran over there and the car door was still open and right beside where they were. And on the radio was this song playing. And 
So she yelled back at her husband. She says, turn that up, turn that music up. And he did. And so she was there comforting this gentleman in a very soothing, calming voice. You know, you're, everything's going to be okay. And, and just listen to this beautiful music on the radio and it's, everything's going to be fine. And she said, by the time the song finished, he'd calmed down and was okay. Now the people did come to look after him and check him out. And he, he was in fact, okay. But because he had calmed down with her comforting him and listening to that music on the radio, he had basically recovered. And so that was amazing. And so she said, when I got back home, said, I called that radio station, said, what was that song that was playing at 6.07 p.m. on such and such? And, <laughs> and then the, the DJ didn't miss a beat. He said, oh, that was Rachel's song. Apparently, she wasn't the first one that ever called him about that song. Right. So, well, so she... That's such a great story to lead us into then the whole, yes. what you had to, had to tell me before we hit record about listening to my interview with uh, Dr. Stephen Porges and the polyvagal theory. And just that impact of music and that mindfulness moment. I mean, really, he was having a mindful moment. Yes, he was. And he, this, apparently my music triggered this safety response and to put it in Dr. Uh, Porges's terms, it, it was a safety trigger for him that this music, this calm, soothing music kind of took the whatever was causing the trigger that caused the panic or the the fear, uh, the, the basically the threat reaction that he had done and, and, and panicked and, and fell. It triggered him back into a safety response, which was more calming and let him let him settle down and just come back to normal. And so this, that was, and I, and, and I, until I heard your interview with Dr. Porges, I had not figured out that that was probably the way medically or physiologically to describe what had happened. But I really think that that's probably the effect was that for some reason, Rachel's song does have this calming, soothing, peaceful. In fact, of those 50,000 letters that, that I've gotten over the years from my music, the one word that is used more frequently than any other is peace. And peace really is just kind of a, a, a catch-all phrase that encompasses all this safety and you feel comfortable, you feel safe and peaceful and everything's going to be okay, that kind of thing. So it is a, an, an and I think it is an involuntary, autonom uh, you call it autonomic response from your nervous system that gets triggered. And until I heard that description, I'd I didn't realize that maybe that is what it is. And uh, I'm just, I didn't write my music to deliberately be that. But, you know, the thing that really dawned on me, and I was telling my wife at supper tonight about that, that when I sit at the piano and I play the piano, play some chords or whatever I'm going to start playing, those sounds that I hear from the piano trigger a response in me that is putting me in a state of, in my case, creativity, because I'm a very left-brain person normally. I'm very analytical and very scientific and whatever. And but I can also be creative, and I like to draw and paint and and do music. But you you kind of can't do both at this. Your left brain, and your right brain, kind of one has to be in charge <laughs> at the time. But to, for me to get into my my uh, right brain, creative, uh, in tune with that side of me. I think sitting at the piano, those sounds, because of, of, of the effect that they had on me when I was growing up, being around beautiful music, to me, 
makes me feel in a real safe place and in a wonderful state of mind that I can be calm and peaceful and I can be creative and just just let it flow. And yeah. so I really love that revelation that I've got. And thanks to you and your interview with with Dr. Stephen Porges, uh, that's wonderful revelation to me. And I'm going to I'm going to think about that some more as as, I, as time goes on. But that is that's to me the relationship. And I've often said it that the piano and I have a conversation. And I think maybe that is a way to describe this response that I have is I play music, play a, a song and those tones that come out of the piano come back to me in my ears and in my body. And we do have a back and forth conversation that involves creating different sounds and different music. Yeah. And as you create it, though, I mean, that's the energy that becomes part of that music. And so therefore, that's what we receive as an audience. I know when when I when you and I connected, I said, okay. And I went in and I laid on my couch and I got on my on the TV and I found um a YouTube version of of your song. And I said, I'm just gonna lay here and close my eyes and just listen. And mm -hmm. I'm I'm telling you now, what overcame me was a sense of peace. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's it's music is very powerful. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's a very subtle power. It's one and in in, in, in the uh, physiological terms, it's 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 autonomous, it's involuntary. I think if you're if you're ready to receive that when you're laying there or close your eyes and listening to the music, your body's response to that is not something that you say, "Well, I'm just going to relax. I'm going to lower my blood pressure. I'm going to do this." No, it just happens automatically. Yeah. Because you are wired that way. And uh, so that's, that's, I that's great. Feel, I mean, like I said, I could feel, well, I use music so often to just bring myself to a sense of calm for just for grounding, but I could just feel my body just like catch my, my breath got deeper and my, my, my shoulders mm -hmm. relaxed and I could just feel myself mm -hmm. settling. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Like, uh, like Dr. Porter says, you know, you get slow, deep breaths. And you slow your breathing down, your heart rate goes down, your your stress level lowers. Is all of these good things happen to you when that happens? And it's it's those triggers and 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 I think that my music, fortunately, is it triggers those kind of responses from people. And so yeah. that and and that's why I really wrote my book was to spread the word about my music. I feel so strongly about the feedback that I've gotten. From these 50,000 people. And when you get my book, chapter 21 of my book is 22 pages of excerpts of just a hand. Uh, it's probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 of these uh, notes that I've gotten from people. But in, in many of those, you better get your box of Kleenex out because if you're really, if you pay attention to what they're saying, these are some really touching deep down in the soul kind of notes that saying how the music touched them, whether it was for somebody dying on their last breath was listening to my music as they departed this world, or whether it's a brand new baby being born or a, a, a couple getting married to my music. You know, there's all kinds of really personal, touching, special relationships. And those are in, I, I had to put some of those in my book. It's chapter 21. And so when you get my book, you'll read some of those, but it's, 
really, really special. And that's why I wrote the book, because the title of the book, as it says, is Touched by the Music. And that's what we're talking about, is the music yeah. literally touches you in deep down inside of you. Yes. So how do people how do people get a hold of the book and how do they find your music? Well, I've tried to make it extremely simple. Just remember my last name, Combs, and go to combsmusic.com. That's my website. And when you go to my website, you'll see the picture of my book on the left-hand side of the page. And on the right-hand side of the page, you will see the CD cover, Rachel's Song. And in the middle of the page, about where my chin is here, <laughs> there's a, 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 a link that you can click on. And it, and it just says, Play Rachel's Song. And it is the actual song. It's not a sample. It's the real deal. And the, and the interesting thing is that when you, now that I've described to you how it got recorded, as you listen to it, you can listen to it and hear, I want you to close your eyes and put yourself in that control room with me. And I want you to listen to that song the same way I did, because that recording is that original demo recording unchanged. It has not been remastered. What you're hearing is exactly what I heard the first time that August 22nd, 1986. Oh so my God. close your eyes and listen to that. Now that you know how he recorded it, just picture him playing those low strings and the high strings and the horns and, and wait for that key change on the end of the second verse. And you'll know what I'm talking about there. And it's a special, it's just so special to listen to it with your eyes closed and just let it soak into you that way. I can't wait. See, I probably didn't even listen to the original. Like I just found it again. A link. And so I'm excited. Now I'm going to go to your website. Yeah. And click on that. Oh, I can't wait. Well, the one you heard well, on the YouTube is the same recording, except okay. that I took my okay. recording and put my photography as part of the video. And because I'm also a photographer, I love to take pictures. And I, I, one of the first videos I ever made for YouTube was Rachel's song playing and some of my beautiful landscape pictures, sun, sunrises, sunsets, and maybe a Blue Ridge Parkway, uh, some really pretty pictures. And I put some of those quotes that are in chapter 21, just the two sentence short ones. Yeah. They're up on yeah. the screen so that as you're listening to the music, if you're watching it, you can read the quote of what somebody said, and then it'll go to another picture and another quote. But that was that also was that original recording. Oh, okay. Unchanged. Okay. I felt peaceful and I was like, well, gosh, even with, the, <laughs> with that one. So, all right. <laughs> so, I, but I, I just am so excited about this, what I've come to learn about this, uh, this, this polyvagal uh, response that has to do with my music. I'm, I'm just excited to uh, read more about that and, I think I can now understand more of how people have responded to this because it is really an involuntary response. <laughs> One of the notes I got was from a family. They were on vacation and they were up in the mountains and they'd gone to this nice little gift shop. And I think it was about three or four of them. And they were wandering around in different parts of the gift shop. And the gift shop happened to be playing Rachel's song. And she's, and this lady says, all of a sudden, all four of us ladies that were traveling together, she said, we all kind of flocked at the same time over to the counter to inquire about the music. And she said, every one of us had tears running down our cheeks. We didn't know why or what, but they all reacted in the same way. And she, they looked at each other and then they started laughing. <laughs> 
and couldn't say, why are we crying because of this music? We don't even know what this music is. And so they ended up buying the music, of course. She said, and the, <laughs> the, the shop owner, the, the gentleman said, uh, he said, well, ladies, he said, uh, that's not the only album this gentleman has. He said, do you think, you all think you could stand to listen to another one? <laughs> but they bought all the, all the albums that he had and took it home with them. And they wrote me a nice letter about their funny experience on the, the gift shop on the parkway of... Uh, hearing my music and all of them getting in tears at the same time. <laughs> well, that's just so beautiful. I, you know, as you first started talking about your story and, and how you played it and you felt like you had played it a million times, all I kept thinking is, you know, somewhere, God, Jesus, somewhere in heaven, someone was playing this and you just happened to be tuned in and you, you just knew well, it and you've shared it with all of us and gosh, what a gift. <laughs> Well, it has been an unbelievable journey, and here lately, my mission has been to try to spread the word about my music. Millions of people have heard Rachel's song, but there's hundreds of millions of people that haven't. Yeah. And so one, my yeah. mission is to basically introduce it to those millions of people that have never heard it before, and I hope that they will respond to it in the same positive way that all the other folks have in the past. Right. Now, if now if, if the audience, someone is listening and they, they want to write to you, can they reach out to you through your website? Yes, there's a there's a my email address is right at the bottom of the, okay. every page. Okay. There's a link to get send me an email and uh, you can also I have I'm on face. There's a link for me on Facebook and also on uh, LinkedIn. And of course, I have a YouTube channel that I have lots of videos that we can I've created other video. I speak created three special videos for nursing homes and assisted living facilities for the pandemic. And these videos or music videos will play for six to seven hours. They were designed so that the, 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 the uh, assisted living staff would not have to keep push, going over and push re or replay. They would just push play one time and then go come back and six hours later, it's still playing. So it doesn't interfere with their work. Right. But all that right. time, it's playing my music and the photography of my beautiful photography so that the residents can see that and hear it and take their mind off of this pandemic and all the troubles. Because you remember two years ago, in fact, it was two years ago about this time that they locked down the yeah. nursing homes. Yeah. And I mean, they basically said, no family, family, you cannot come visit your relative. People in the rooms, you cannot go out to the dining room anymore. We'll bring your food to you. Right, so they were basically right. locked into their rooms, could not go anywhere. And boy, I, my heart just bled for those folks because oh, my I mother know. had just my mother had just passed away three years before. And she lived in a nurse in an assisted living facility three, three miles from my house. So I visited her every day in that facility. And I knew how important getting out and visiting with her neighbors and how important music was to them because I had done musical programs for them many times. So I, I said, I got to do something. And that's why I created these long playing videos. And there, I have a special playlist on my YouTube channel. It's just Combs Music is my mu music channel. And there's a playlist that says long playing videos. And when you go there, there's three of them. And any one of them, you click on it and you can put it on your computer or on your big screen TV or whatever, and it'll play all day long. So beautiful. Awesome. 
Well, it has just been such a pleasure and joy to, yeah, sit with you and talk with you and hear your story. And it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing it with us. You're quite welcome. I, this, this has been a great day for me because I've, first of all, I was even before I found out about this interview you did with uh, Dr. Porges, but, uh, I was still looking forward to talking with you because I knew about this healing aspect of my music, but I didn't know why or how, but I'm beginning to understand a little bit more about that now, thanks to you and your, your, your program. And I really appreciate that. So I'd be happy to, I'd love to come on here with you, with me and Dr. Porges again, the three of us have a conversation. Wouldn't that be something? And make that connection and talk about it. Yeah. I would, I would love that. So. Yeah. And I'm telling you, he is just such a wonderful human being. If you ever reached out to him to discuss it, I'm sure he would, he would, yes, respond. I I plan to, and I've ordered his, his book will be here tomorrow. (laughs) I ordered it today and Amazon's shipping it tomorrow. I look forward to reading his book as well. And I'm, I will, I do plan to reach out to him. That will be a. I'm so good. Well, keep me posted because I I, I will do that. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I hope you get lots of positive feedback from our discussion today. It's been fun for me, I know, and and I'm sure it will be for you and your listeners as well. Yes, I'm well, and I'm so excited. I, I know I put it at the beginning of this show, but I don't know if I had told you, but just this week I found out that uh, the show is in the top 2.5% of 2.8 million podcasts globally. Whoa. And- I was so excited. I almost, yeah. I, I just, I, I walked around with this giant smile on now for like five days and I can't wipe it off my face because just knowing that people are tuning in all 112 countries now. Um, and so people all over the world are going to hear this interview and resonate even more so with Rachel's song. And it's, again, I just, I feel so blessed to connect with people like you. So thank you. Oh, wow. This is, this is really special. So congratulations, by the way, thank that you. is no small feat because I think somebody said there are over 3 million podcasts. Yeah. Around this the world. Was like I mean, out of two point, like 2 million, 800 and some other thousand yeah. podcasts, uh, this one ranks in 2.5% top. So I was like, wow. yeah. Wow. Yay. <laughs> yes, indeed. Wow. Yeah. Great. Okay. <laughs> All right. All well, right. again, thank you for being here. And um, yes, it's just been a gift. Uh, same here. And let's stay in touch. And you've got my email address, Dave at combsmusic.com. Write me anytime. And I'd love to stay in touch. That's great. All right. right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the academy.terrywellbrock.com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywellbrock.com, You can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for, uh, again, healing and hope strategies. Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.